The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, God bless you, Ecclesia. I see so many of you that I love and know well in this room and some new guests that I hope to get to know. Um, I promise you I will never again in my life uh, take for granted what it means to be together in the same room. And uh, I don't, we could listen to music at home, but anybody feel the same thing they feel when they're in the room with people at home? It's just not the same. And uh, we will have times, maybe historically you're gonna travel. We're, our hope is that we're back together. We're back in a new rhythm and routine. And we think that uh, is a blessing. We're in a series in that and we're following, many of you hopefully have joined some groups. I'm gonna invite you to start some if you, you don't, that we're engaging our stories. We're following the book of our friend Mike Mantell, a book called Thirsting for Living Water. And it really is about his story. And it's about looking at our own stories in that same way. Uh, the hard times, the dark times, the, uh, the dark night of the soul, if you will, these challenging times that we go through that lead us to a place where hopefully we can thrive. And Lent is a, is a season as we prepare for Easter of self-examination. We look at ourselves. And part of my job today is just simply to help you ponder this really important reality of self-awareness, right? It's Plato, right, that said, or is at least credited with it, that like, know thyself. You, you could know so much about, anybody knows somebody that they know so much about the world? unbelievably smart, even Christians that know so much about the Bible but know very little about themselves and it makes it a little awkward at times. Um, anybody have friends like that that they don't have an accurate assessment maybe of their giftedness? Uh, anybody have a friend that thinks they're an amazing singer but they can't find the pitch to save their life? <laughs> have a friend, they just post over and over like singing songs and you're like, you, you have other gifts, I promise you. That's just not one of them. All of us probably in college, any guys, you had a friend that just has, what's the nice way to say this? He, he's not fully aware of the kind of women that are attracted to him. Like asking out supermodels on a regular basis, but not getting like, it's never gonna happen for you, man. It is never going. Am I the only one that had that friend? Or there were at least a, f a few of us, right? I'll never forget early in the life uh, of Ecclesia, I used to host this conference um, in Atlanta, and we'd have 20,000 church leaders, and I was the host for a week, and from time to time, different years, they would also ask me to preach, and preaching for preachers is a little different than just preaching on a regular basis, and it, it's heavy, and it's important, and you want to bring something really meaningful, and I had shared with friends at church over a weekend, like I'd been sick, I was struggling, to, I was going to host this thing and preach, and it was a lot, and uh, this guy in the church said, hey, he called me and just said, I'm gonna take care of this for you because I can tell it's a burden and uh, I'm booking a ticket for Atlanta. I'm, I'm gonna go ahead and just preach for you. And uh, I was like, but you work at Ikea. You've never preached before, right? I mean, like it might not be the first time you wanna preach is for 20,000 people. And there was just this lack of self-awareness about where you're at in the world. And None of us want to be that guy or girl, right? And then I would also tell you there are these unique growth moments that would feel maybe to others like you're unaware of yourself, but maybe you know something about yourself. Nobody, like David stepping forth for Goliath and his brothers had to be like, are you kidding me? Like this kid, he's going to get crushed. 
They didn't know that he was a heck of a marksman with a rock and a slingshot. They didn't know that he could hunt rabbits with rocks and a slingshot, and this guy could hit a massive guy in the head and win the whole thing. They, did, they just didn't know. And there are times where I wonder if our lack of awareness about our own gifts, we're leaning in maybe to the wrong things, and then that right thing, that unique thing that we're made for, we're not yet doing because somehow we've been afraid. And so Lent's a season that I want to invite you to look at your own story, to know thyself, to examine who you are uniquely, because God made you. Just like we prayed for Audrey today, we believe God made Audrey for a reason. We believe the world is a better place because she's in it. And the same is true for you. But many of us have held back some of the best parts of who we are. Now, you got to know if you feel it from time to time, uh, a lack of self-awareness, you're not alone. Even the most spiritual people do. Paul wrote most of the Bible, and what he says in Romans 7 is this. It's really clear, right? He says, listen, I can't explain my actions. So just pause for a minute there with me. Apostle Paul, writing in this heart-filled, beautiful, dense book of Romans, and this is what he tells you, I don't know why I do what I do. I can't explain it. Anybody else do something from time to time and go, I, I don't know why I did that. Just a couple of? <laughs> Anybody say something and go, why did I say that? Where did that come from? Anybody say something from time to time or think something even? And you have to think like, am I evil or what? Like, <laughs> what is wrong with me? Paul felt the same thing. But I gotta tell you, when you have that impulse, it might be something you ought not ignore. It might be something we should, why, actually why did I, I need to know what part of me and my story has led me to act this way in this situation because maybe I don't wanna do it again. Paul goes on and explains. He says this, this is the deal. Here's why I'm not able to do the things I want. Anybody have a to-do list of things that you actually know you're never going to get done? It's just never gonna happen, but you've got things. And you've got to, I'm supposed to do, and the last thing you're going to do are the things on your to-do list. And Paul says, those things I don't do, but I, this is what I do. I do the things I despise. Right? One of the reasons that failures in your Lenten fast are so common is because as soon as you decide there's something you're not going to do, all you want to do is do that thing. Right? The story I've told from growing up, right, in sixth grade, my friend Chris McGriff and I uh, got bow and arrows. It was just our Christmas gift, right? And we, we were excited. We were going out to shoot our bow and arrows on Christmas Day. We'd done all the gifts. We both were going to get one. And his mom said words that almost destroyed our lives as we left. And she said to us, boys, there will be no flaming arrows. <laughs> and as soon as those words came out of her mouth, we were destined to be shooting flaming arrows. We set fires. We did things that never should have been done uh, because it was planted in our heads and they, we had no choice at that point but to shoot flaming. Paul says, listen, I end up doing the things I don't want to do and not doing the things I want to do. And I got to figure out what's going on with me. He goes on to explain in Romans, we're not getting into all of it today, but he says sin is actually at work 
in me. And part of Lent is about understanding God's work in us, our propensity to move towards sin or selfishness and do the wrong thing, and try to say, God, how do I live out this life beautifully and uniquely? Brene Brown says it really well. She says, when we deny our stories, and this is part of what I would propose to you, that Lent is a season that you ought to, and you can join, you could start a group, you could join one of the groups that are happening, uh, you could get five people together and just go, I'm gonna dig deep into like, who, what have I experienced in my life and my story and who am I? She says, when we deny our stories, they define us. When we own our stories, we get to write a brave new ending. Something happens when we have a reckoning with our own life and our own experience. And we shift into a new phase where we actually become co-authors with God of that story. Now, some of it is filled with tragedy. There are things that happen to you that never should have happened because the world is deeply and profoundly broken. I can't even wrap my head around how kids in the Ukraine are going to make sense of the world going forward. I can't, I can't do it. But all I know is that all of us have a story to tell and a burden to bear. And Genesis 2 reminds us, I'm not going to read you the whole thing, but this is what you need to know in Genesis. We were originally made for a world that felt safe. Genesis is a book everybody's afraid of. It's a book of poetry. It's not a book of, of, of science. But it is a book that tells you God's the one that made the world. Now, it's confusing for some because we get two accounts at the beginning of how he made the world. They're both poetic. So they both tell us things about God. The first one God speaks everything into existence. And in the second one, he's a gardener and he gets down in the dirt and he creates. And the first one, he creates man and woman together at the same time to say that they're equal. And in the second one, he, he creates man and then woman out of man to remind us that we're connected. And in, in that version, he says this, he creates woman from man. And then Adam has this chance to respond, which is, I mean, just historically for men, when you have a big moment and you need to say the right thing, you're not going to say the right thing. And here is the first woman in front of him naked, and he could have blown it big time, but he, he didn't. He literally, I believe it's poetry that was intended to be sung. I think he sang to her at last a suitable companion. He saw her and said, finally, I'm at home, a perfect partner. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. I will call this one woman as, a returnal, as an eternal reminder that she was taken out of man. He finally said, this is the one whom I feel safe and whole with. And then it goes on and tells us that those two were together. The reason that a man leaves a woman and his mother is united with his wife. The two became one flesh. And in those days, the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. That's the world we were made for where we could be vulnerable. And if you have somebody that loves you enough that you're able to be vulnerable and feel safe, you've been given a gift. And what I would tell you is that the church also ought to be a place like that. And when we help establish a group where you look at your story, what I desire for each of you is that you have a place where you could be vulnerable and you could feel safe. And I believe all of us are in need of exactly that. So my hope is that this Lent, if you would choose to do something like that, start a group, engage a group, read the book, look at your story, that you would have one of these moments that we see in scripture that are where things pivot, right? It's, it's for Peter where he, Jesus was walking on the water and Jesus said to Peter, 
come. Every time I'm on the Sea of Galilee, I have this moment where I just put my foot out of the, and just imagine being Peter like, the moment you take that step, everything's different. Or like Esther in the Old Testament, who realized she had to oppose the genocide of God's people at all costs. And I wonder, what does it look like now for us to be those same people? I'm going to talk to you tonight at the gathering we're going to have praying for Ukraine about, I I took a class in college on the Holocaust. And I remember sitting there thinking, how could churches do nothing when the Holocaust was happening? How? And I got to tell you, if we can't do something for our Ukrainian brothers and sisters, we should close our doors. We should cease to be the church. Because it's right in front of us. The stories that we're hearing, I'm going to take a trip uh, to Poland with a small team in a few weeks to come alongside some church partners at the, at the border of uh, Poland and Ukraine. And the stories that I've been hearing from pastors over recent weeks are that basically the only people uh, that try to move anywhere at the speed of the church are those that seek to do unbelievable harm. So quickly, you know who's running to the border? Human traffickers are running to the border because women and children are crossing over by themselves and they're remarkably vulnerable. Now, if we can't move and if we can't give, if we can't be a part of a church that says we're gonna pool because God's given us money and resources, we're gonna pool those together to do something good. If we can't do that and we sit and think of ourselves, I don't know how we can claim the name of Christ. And so what we seek to do, this pastor was telling me a story of being there at the border. And much like you would imagine, it's the same thing we experienced at the Venezuelan border. You have the sense, I can't help everyone, but you just wait to figure out who you can help. And he just said he was looking for the greatest need and he watched a particular woman with young children coming over that had very, very little. And before he could get to her, he could see two men approach her that both were clearly a part of organized crime and were looking to traffic her. Gratefully, he was with his wife and he was able to get to her and bring her to the church and keep her safe and warm and cared for. And I hear it, I just think we have to be a part of that. And so I wonder, Ecclesia, what will it take to move us? In, in 2 Samuel 6, there's this story where David has this crucial moment as a king. He, one of his great goals as a young king was to see the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of God's power and presence, return to his people. And when the Ark of the Covenant came back, it blew up. It was like Mardi Gras on steroids for the people of Israel. People were dancing and celebrating. And David was in the streets. In the Hebrew, it's not clear if he was physically naked or just vulnerable in front of his people. But he was dancing in the streets. And Saul's daughter, Micah, the former king, criticized him when he came back. She'd been watching this celebration through the window, right? And I wonder, Ecclesia, are we going to watch what happens in the world through this window? Literally, for us, it's a window of our television or our screens and our phones. Are we going to watch or are we going to be like David and get in the streets and in the fray and be vulnerable? So, in light of that question, I'm going to share with you my favorite moment, quite likely in all of cinematic history, Uh, in part because it feels like a pastoral moment to me. Um, Just a little insight into my psyche. The things that keep me up at night are often wondering about our collective unrealized potential. Like, What are the things that together we should have done that we didn't do? That could have impacted our city or the world? Or what were the 
the songs that were intended to be written, but you just didn't sit down to respond, the paintings that were supposed to be painted, but you didn't paint them, the businesses that were supposed to be started that God led you to start, but you just didn't do. Or even worse, some of them are songs written that are never shared. So in this movie, Walk the Line, Joaquin Phoenix nails Johnny Cash. And, and part of it is that what we get an insight into is that at early in his story, J.R. Cash was filled with shame and guilt. He was an appliance salesman who had written songs while he was in the Air Force and never shared them with anyone. And he gets in front of this producer, Sam Phillips. And Sam Phillips offers him an, a moment that he's either going to make himself vulnerable and share or he's not. I'm gonna show you a much longer film clip than I normally would show. At the West Side, when I showed it last week, people were ticked that I stopped it and they didn't watch the whole movie and then I kept preaching. So please don't do that. Um, but this, this, this is a moment that I'm praying we'll experience something similar during Lent. What about this one? I can iron it. John, you can't wear that one. It's black. It's the only color shirt we all have. Nothing wrong with black. It looks like you're going to a funeral. Maybe I am. Yes, I know when Jesus saved me. Saved my soul. The very moment he forgave me. Made me whole. He took away my heavy burdens. Lord, he gave me peace within. Peace within. Well, Satan can't make me doubt it. I won't doubt it's it. It's real and I'm gonna shout it. I'm gonna shout well, it. Hold on, there hold on. I hate to interrupt, but you guys got something else. I'm sorry. I can't market gospel no more. So that's it? I don't record material that doesn't sell, Mr. Cash, and gospel like that doesn't sell. So is it the gospel or the way I sing it? Both. Well, what's wrong with the way I sing it? I don't believe you. You're saying I don't believe in God? JR, come on, let's go. No, I want to understand. I mean, we come down here, we play for a minute, and he tells me I don't believe in God. You know exactly what I'm telling you. We've already heard that song a hundred times. Just like that, just like how you were singing it. Well, you didn't let us bring it home. <laughs> bring it home? All right, let's bring it home. If you was hit by a truck and you were lying out in that gutter dying and you had time to sing one song, huh? one song people would remember before your dirt, one song that would let God know what you felt about your time here on earth, one song that would sum you up. You telling me that's the song you'd sing. That same Jimmy Davis tune we hear on the radio all day about your peace within and how it's real and how you're going to shout it. Or would you sing something different? Something real. Something you felt. Because I'm telling you right now, that's the kind of song people want to hear. That's the kind of song that truly saves people. It ain't got nothing to do with believing in God, Mr. Cash. It has to do with believing in yourself. Well, I got a couple songs I wrote in the Air Force. 
You got anything against the Air Force? No. I do. I hear the train a-coming It's rolling round the bend And I ain't seen the sunshine Since I don't know when I'm stuck in Folsom Prison And time keeps dragging on That train keeps a rolling on down to San Antonio. When I was just a baby, my mama told me, son, always be a good boy, don't ever play with guns. But I shot a man in Reno. Just to watch him die When I hear that whistle blowing I hang my head and cry I bet there's rich folks eating in a fancy dining car They're probably drinking coffee and smoking big cigars Well, I know I had it coming I know I can't be free But those people keep a moving And that's what tortures me Ecclesia, can you imagine a world in which Johnny Cash never shared his music? I mean, you, uh, by the way, I can tell you're Johnny Cash fans because almost all of you were lip syncing along <laughs> with it, right? What, the kind of world where like, I, I mean, I'm a Johnny Cash fan. My kids are Johnny Cash fans. My parents and my grandparents were Johnny Cash fans. Why? Because he told the truth, because he was a unique, authentic voice. Boy Named Sue is one of the best condensed stories you'll ever hear, right? There's just so many of these unique, beautiful things that he never would have offered. And I wonder how many of us are living a life that would be very much what Sam Phillips described. You're singing the same song the same way everybody else has sung it. You're living this life that maybe is what... You, you thought one of your parents or grandparents or a teacher or some mentor or the culture thought you were supposed to live and you know there's something more that you offer to the world and you've just been afraid to share it and you need somebody and maybe it can be your pastor or a record producer to say, I, I don't believe you. Like I think there's something more. And maybe you're like a lot of us that you don't even know your story well enough to know exactly what that is, but Lent ought to be a season that you could say, I want to know myself and where I've come from so that I might know where God could take me in the future. And I believe uniquely that all of us were made to be a part of something radically beautiful and transformational in the world. Last night, 
Uh, Kristen and I were at dinner with uh, friends Griffin Mendy and their uh, Ecclesians that have been in and out of town and on a beautiful journey, but also one that's filled with cancer and pain and all the things that our lives are filled with, right? And we sat down at the table and uh, it didn't take long to figure out that our waitress was Ukrainian. And I gotta tell you, Ecclesia, we, we don't know all the things that we're doing, but it felt so good to be able to say to her, our church is gathering tomorrow, not just to pray for Ukraine, but to figure out how we're gonna give and respond, and you're welcome to come. And she said, I will be there. I will be there at five o'clock. And I will bring my Ukrainian husband, and we will be there, thank you. And I wanna be a part of a church that's filled with people that are fulfilling and living into the best that God's made them to be. Paul says it this way in Galatians, and then I'll lead you to communion. Paul says this, he said, this is what life's about. We're to shoulder each other's burdens, and that means our neighbor down the street, and it means our brother or sister in Ukraine. And then you'll live as the law of the anointed one teaches us. And then he says, hey, be careful, because this is the one thing people really mess up in Christianity. He said, don't take this. When you're uh, the hero, you get to come in and help. Don't take this opportunity to think you're better than those who slip, because you aren't, right? We are no better than our brothers and sisters who are suffering in Venezuela. You just happen to be born in a different place and with unique and different blessings, but we are no different and no better, and that's why we ought to move so quickly. He said, don't think you're better, and then you become a fool and you deceive even yourself. Instead, he says, examine your own works. I would say, examine your own works, your own life, your own story, your own strengths, your own weaknesses. Look at them, know thyself so that if you're proud, it will be because of your own accomplishments and not someone else's, or not just because you were born where you were born. Each person, he says, has his or own burden to bear. This is the thing, you have your unique wounds. You have your unique scars. This is what I hope you hear, and you're gonna hear it here clearly and often. Your scars are part of what make you so beautiful. When you share them and you open yourself to be vulnerable, it's what the people around you desperately need. And so we're not to Easter yet. We've started a number of these groups. We've got a curriculum we can put in your hand today that follows this book and just invites you to look at your own story and walk with some other friends. And if you could get five friends or six friends or 10 friends in your house and you feed them and you take a look at your story, it would be a gift. If you go to the connect table, they'll help you figure out how to get the curriculum or how to connect with a group. But I wanna be a part of a community of people that know themselves, and this is what he says, you have your own burden to bear and your own story to write. He's saying what Brene Brown said. Once you reckon with your burdens and your scars, you'll actually stop denying your story and you'll actually be able to be a co-author with God in your new story, and that's a great way to live. I'll send you off with this and we'll take communion. I've got a really full day. Kristen and I are headed. My dad um, has been pastor of the same church for 32 years, and they're doing a celebration for him. So I'm gonna walk out and let Sean lead you through communion to go celebrate with them. Then we'll be back tonight at five. I hope to see you tonight at five. And then I have a, a worship service uh, at the rodeo with the king of country after that. So um, <laughs> his, his name's George Strait. He's a, he's a great worship leader. It's re really good. Helen Keller says this, um, 
as you think about the kind of life you want to live. She says, avoiding danger. Anybody know, like I have a friend who's in risk assessment and insurance and he just, like his life is about avoiding any danger, staying from the, away from the wrong neighborhoods and the wrong places. So we're like the opposite where I'm like, you know, I'm not as bad as Ramon. When Ramon visited the Venezuela border, he just drifted into Venezuela in the most dangerous places and risked our church insurance along the way. But, um, but we end up in these places, right, that I'd never feel safer, and yet it's, there's a lot happening around us, right? Helen Keller says, avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than outright exposure. Life is either a daring adventure or it's nothing. I don't know what risk you're avoiding. I know J.R. Cash was afraid of being rejected. He experienced quite the opposite as he shared his life and his heart and his story with people. And I believe you're made to do the same. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ectasiahouston.org.